You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Let's just say we're going to die. Now, I'm not trying to stretch the text. I know he's talking about the return of Christ, but uh, still, let me just suggest the end of all things is near. Let's say the end of all things for us is not Christ's second coming or the rapture of the church. Let's say it's our death. Now, for me, I perk up because I'm 56 years old and I was saved when I was 19. So, you know, humanly speaking, I got less time on this planet as a human being unless some miracle happens. I'm on my way out. When Jesus spoke of his return, the disciples thought that it would be in their lifetime. Many people before you thought that Christ would return in their lifetime. Today, Pastor Danny realizes that his encounter with Jesus is closer now than when he first accepted Christ. He doesn't necessarily think that Jesus will return immediately, only that death is nearer now than ever before. This is good news for the Christian. We can eagerly hope for Christ to return, but know with certainty that when we die, we will see Christ our Savior face to face. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 with today's edition of The Living Word. 1 Peter chapter 4, we left off verse 7. We're just going to read the opening line. Now don't read ahead. You just want to hear what the Lord says in this opening statement. The end of all things is near. What a statement. Obviously he's talking about Christ and his second coming. Peter, the other apostles, expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime, and of course he didn't. And now some 2,000 years later, he still has not returned. Uh, Why? Well, Peter will tell us in 2 Peter, it's so other people might be saved. That the, the delay is a divine purpose because God wants more people to be saved. If Jesus would have come back 100 years ago, I'd have never been conceived. I'd never have an opportunity for eternal life. So I'm glad he waited until I was born. Uh, because I'm looking forward to heaven. How close are we to Jesus' second coming? Well, we're 2,000 years closer than when this was penned, right? Now, I could get off on this because I love prophecy, but prophecies dealing with the second coming, many of them have to do with the nation of Israel. And for years, uh, Israel was not a nation. But thank God, 1967, 1968, and the events that took place in a very rapid period of time, Israel has become a nation again. And so we know we're closer now. When you read the book of Revelation, and even though it's sad, it's alarming, during that final seven-year period before Jesus comes, known as the Great Tribulation, uh, half the world population will perish in world war like we've never seen before. That's what's prophesied there. You would no doubt have to have modern military capability for those number of people to die in such a short period of time. Well, we're living in that age. Technology for the mark of the beast. I mean, years people would read the mark of the beast, you know, and a number on your forehead, right hand, and you can't buy and sell unless you have it. Well, that doesn't cause us any wonder. It's either a microchip, and even now they're even doing tattoos to do those kind of things. So we have the technology for the mark of the beast. Uh, one of the most exciting to me is Ezekiel 38 prophesies. An alliance of nations that will uh, come together against Israel in the last days. And two of the nations mentioned there, Russia and ancient Persia, which is modern Iran, never before in the history of the world 
Has there been a military alliance between ancient Persia, modern-day Iran, and Russia? But there is today. You're living. I'm living. We're living in that, in that day. Uh, so that's exciting. The Temple Institute, uh, the Israel Temple Institute there in Jerusalem, they have already got all the things ready that as soon as they get some kind of temple, doesn't have to be fancy either, they're ready to reinstitute the Old Testament worship under Moses. And it's fascinating. Every time I've been to Israel, we visit the Temple Institute. Just fascinating stuff. Now, every day in the news, the Middle East unrest. And so the stage is set. I personally know of no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church. That's what we call it. It's the catching away of the church uh, before the wrath of God uh, comes in the tribulation period. And I know of no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. So it could happen today. (laughs) That would be great, wouldn't it? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But now, let's just say... The rapture is not going to happen in our day. Let's say Jesus is not going to come in our generation. Let's say that doesn't happen. Well, here's what you have to deal with. You're going to die. (laughs) That's good news, isn't it? Well, if you're a Christian, it is good news. Not the process, just what's on the other side. And I'm looking forward to the other side. But let's just say we're going to die. Now, I'm not trying to stretch the text. I know he's talking about the return of Christ, but uh, still, let me just suggest the end of all things is near. Let's say the end of all things for us is not Christ's second coming or the rapture of the church. Let's say it's our death. Now, for me, I perk up because I'm 56 years old, and I was saved when I was 19. So, you know, humanly speaking, I got less time on this planet as a human being unless some miracle happens. I'm on my way out. Some of you are older than me. You're closer than me, unless, you know, whatever God's will is. But do you understand what I mean? I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase or not, but it goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How many have never heard that phrase before? Never heard that statement? Never heard it before? Well, it's penned back in the 1800s by a guy named Charles Thomas Studd, uh, better known as C.T. for short, C.T. Studd. And he indeed was a stud in his day. He was, in his day, the best-known cricket player in the world. He attended Cambridge University. In his senior year at Cambridge, he was the captain of the cricket team. He had an illustrious future ahead of him as a professional athlete, but something happened along the way. Well, a few years before, at age 16, he became a Christian. His father, who was a wealthy man, became a Christian, prayed for his three boys, and did everything he could to see them saved. They were saved. Uh, C.T. gave his life to Christ at age 16. But then he describes his Christian life for those first several years as backslidden Christian. He never really got engaged, never really totally gave his life over to the Lord, even though he was truly a Christian. And something changed, though, while he was at Cambridge University. Uh, D.L. Moody brought his meetings to Cambridge, and C.T. went to some of those meetings. And at one of those meetings, God spoke to C.T. Studd powerfully and personally. And uh, he surrendered his life as a Christian guy. He felt a call to missions. And the first place he became a missionary was China. Uh, He realized that cricket and his career as a professional athlete was temporary. So he gave that up. Never went into professional sports. Ended up becoming a missionary because he realized cricket is temporary, but whatever I do for God will last forever. So he surrendered his life, became a missionary to China, later to India, and finally to Africa. 
while he was in China, uh, first few missionary years, his wealthy father passed away. CT's part of the inheritance amounted to, now listen, this is the 1800s, but it'd be the equivalent of $145,000 in our mind. Folks, that's a lot of money in the 1800s. You know what he did with the money? He gave it all away. He gave some to D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody started a school you may have heard of called the Moody Bible Institute. He gave some uh, to a man named George Mueller who was working with orphans. He gave some to a man named George Holland who was doing Christian ministry to the poor in London. And he gave the rest to the Salvation Army for their fresh work in India. Why did he give it all away? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's why he gave it away. But that's just one line. This comes from a poem that C.T. Studd wrote. Here it is. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years. Each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know I'll say, was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Life will be difficult. It's inevitable and part of being a resident of this fallen world. The question then becomes, how do you handle unexpected trials? Through this study in the book of 1 Peter, Pastor Danny has been encouraging you to take your troubles to your Savior. He cares for you and is the strength and comfort that you crave. Are you facing an unexpected or frustrating situation today? Can we pray for you? There's strength in lifting one another up in prayer, and we're honored to do that for you. Send us an email at info at ccfstepete.church. Would you pray for us here at The Living Word, too? As our ministry grows, we always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and our ideas second. His guidance is what we need. Would you pray that we'd recognize His voice always? 
Thanks for praying. Do you live in or near St. Petersburg? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. We gather on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. And your presence would be such a blessing to us. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to hear another message from Scripture right here on The Living Word.